Welcome to the Elevate Life Church podcast of the week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit elevatelife.com. Hey, put your hand over your heart. And uh, if you're new here, this, we're not going to say the Pledge of Allegiance. We're just going to say some things about us that God says about us. So it's going to be on the screen, but say this with me. I am who God says I am, a child of God, the righteousness of God. I am the apple of God's eye. I am God's workmanship created for good works, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today I open up my mind to receive the word of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Now put your hands up and say it like you mean it. Come Holy Spirit, help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Give yourselves one more big hand and you can sit down. And uh, thank you for standing. You're not, you're not standing for me. We're, we're standing for God and for some cool things that God is doing. And in this series, it's going to be a lot of fun, uh, both here and, and in McKinney. Uh, you're going to win a vacation just for coming to church. And um, it's just going to be a great, a great time. So if you're new to our church, if this is your first weekend, this is the perfect first weekend for you to be here. Because if you come over the next four weeks, there's going to be a makeup week at some point. But if you come for the next four weeks straight, you'll be entered for a chance to win a vacation for your family. And we think that's pretty cool. And uh, that's not just happening here. That's obviously happening in McKinney as well. And so with your in your Bibles, can you turn to Proverbs chapter three? Because we're going to start by talking about a little bit about um, China and our, our family's personal history in China. If you need notes, you can put your hand up and the ushers will get those to you. You can also follow along on your phone or uh, any device that you feel comfortable using in church. I would not recommend you pull out a laptop right now or a desktop. We don't have anywhere to plug that in. But you can go to live.elevate.life and the notes will be on there. So in our family, what, what many of you might know if you've been around this church for a, a period of time or might not know is that my great-grandfather and his brother-in-law were some of the first ever missionaries to Tibet, and, uh, which is in northern China. Now, now Tibet technically doesn't exist because China, China controls it, but when it was a separate, completely pretty much separate country, uh, my, my grandfather and his brother-in-law were some of the first missionaries ever there. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. The title of my talk, my message today is uh, How to Leave a Legacy, because uh, that's one of the things we feel like God wants us to do. And if you look in Proverbs chapter 3 in your Bible and uh, go, to verse, go to verse 3, the, the Bible says this. It says, let not, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. And so what we're trying to do, all of us as human beings, uh, we can boil some things down to just base level things. And one of those things for us in life is we're all trying to figure out how to be successful. We're all trying to figure out how to win. We're all trying to figure out how to make as much money as we can, have as much of an impact as we can in the world, in our time here, and trying to make that happen. And, and what a lot of people don't realize is that the Bible tells us what success looks like. The Bible tells us exactly how to be successful, but it doesn't tell us in a way that we would expect. So right here in Proverbs chapter 3, 3 and 4, the Bible, the Bible says how to be successful biblically. It says, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you, binding them around your neck, 
write them on the tablet of your heart, and then you won't just find success with God, you'll find success with people too. The Bible goes on to say in Proverbs, Proverbs uh, 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. Because with being faithful, there requires a lot of trust. So if I'm going to be faithful, if I'm going to do success God's way, you know, the, the Bible doesn't say, hey, if you want to be successful, learn a bunch of business principles. If you want to be successful, do all these different things and follow this protocol and follow this process. The Bible gives us two really clear things that we need to do. It says that not steadfast love, never stop loving and faithfulness. Be faithful, be committed. Don't, don't let those things forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Let those be the things that you carry everywhere that you go, and then you'll be successful. So before we go any further this morning, let's pray. God, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you that this morning, it's not about anything a person's going to say. It's not about anything that I'm going to say. But God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning directly from, from your word. I thank you that you know exactly where we're at in our life. You know what we need to hear. And I pray whether or not it's said from this platform and whatever it is that I say, God, that I would get out of the way and it would just really be all about you and what you want to say to us exactly where we are in our life. And we thank you that a word from you can change our life. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I want to tell you a little bit about Victor Plymeyer. Victor Plymeyer is my great uncle. He was my great grandfather's brother-in-law. And there's actually, if you're interested, there's a book that was, that was written about him by his son that tells the story of, uh, of what we're going to talk about today. Because what I'm going to do is I'm just going to tell you, tell you a couple stories about this guy, Victor Plymeyer. And I'm not going to go through the whole book. It's obviously a, a pretty, uh, you know, regular size, substantial book. And there's all kinds of stories in here. If you're interested in learning more about this, you can go get this at our bookstore. You can you can buy this on Amazon um, if, you're, if you're interested. So this guy, Victor Plymeyer, in 1908, he went over to Tibet for the first time. Felt called to be a missionary. And if you're not sure what a missionary is, a missionary is a person that takes the gospel and they go to countries that are unreached with the gospel and they bring the gospel with them to try to reach people with the love of Jesus. And so, so he went over to Tibet for the first time in 1908. And he was there for 16 years before he saw the gospel work for one person. So the first person that got saved through his ministry, the first person that said, hey, I want Jesus, I want to have a relationship with Jesus in Victor Plymeyer's ministry, got saved after he was in Tibet for 16 years. Did they show the picture of him already? So this is, this is Victor right here. Obviously, he's decked out in, uh, in his Tibetan gear there. And in his 19th year, his, his, so he got, he got the first person saved, 16 years. His 19th year, his only son, who was six years old, and his wife both died within a week each other of, of each other from smallpox. And so you can see a picture of his, his first family. He obviously had a second family after they passed away, but, but that's, his, that's his son and his wife shortly before they passed away from smallpox. So if you want to talk about uh, taking a hard road and tough sledding, Victor Plymeyer ex experienced it his first 20 years of being in Tibet. And 20 years, I don't know about you, but 20 years sounds like a long time. 16 years, like I was talking to someone earlier after first services in the financial services industry, and this thought came to my mind of, imagine if after 16 years of doing your business, it was like, we got our first client. Yes, way to go team. We're, we're really, we're hard charging now. We're making it happen. So after 16 years, he reaches his first person 
you know, thank God. And then after 19 years, his wife and his son die. He goes through the, the hardest tragedy that many of us in this room could ever face or imagine. And I would be sitting there, I don't know, you, I, I don't know about you, I would be sitting there in those moments thinking that, is this really something I need to be doing? Like, am I really seeing any fruit here? Most of us in our logical minds would, would say, well, I'm going to go find something else to do. Because this just isn't working. So after his wife and his son died, because uh, he was the only foreigner, he was the only non-Tibetan person that lived in this whole area, and so they all thought he was, he was from the devil. They're very superstitious. And uh, because of that, they wouldn't let him bury his son or his wife in the cemetery, in the town cemetery. So what he had to do is he had to go himself, and he didn't have any friends, he didn't have any relationship. He had one guy that he had a relationship with in the whole place that was okay with him. And he had to go by himself, and he had to go buy a plot of land on a Tibetan hillside and bury his wife and his son on his own. And it was in the middle of winter, so during that time it gets really cold in Tibet, as you can imagine. So he's only able to buy enough and bury, and, and uh, he's only able to have enough strength to dig through the ground for one grave, so his wife and son were buried in the same, in the same grave. So Victor Plotmeyer is going through this, and you can imagine, hopefully you can imagine yourself in this situation, feeling like, is it really going to work out? Well, Victor Plotmeyer continues to crisscross across Tibet, and, he, and he have, they have these New Testaments that are written in Tibetan, which are the story of Jesus. And so he continues to crisscross across Tibet, facing all kinds of hostile resistance. In, in Tibetan Buddhism, they have what are called lamas. Uh, they're not, they're, 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 it's their version of monks, and um, they're, they're called lamas, though. And so he would go to these places called lamasaries, and a lamasary is basically a monastery in Tibetan Buddhism. Now, uh, regular, not regular, but Buddhism and Tibetan Buddhism are very different. And a lot of us, when we think of Buddhism, we think of the Dalai Lama, and we think of peace, and think of all of that. But these, these lamas were very, very hostile to anything Victor Plymeyer uh, would try to offer them. He would get kicked out. He would get beat up. They would throw rocks at him. They would stone him. And when we were there six years ago, we were in China, and we went to this, this lamasary called the Kumbum Lamasary. And this is just one part. The, the lamasaries in this area of the world are the size of entire cities. There's thousands of lamas slash monks. If you want to make that correlation, that's fine. There's thousands of lamas slash monks that live in these places. And so he tells this story in his journal. He says, I was able to gain entrance to one of the larger lamasaries in eastern Tibet. And here I was able to sell some 3,000 portions of the word of God. The lamas were wild indeed, and only God kept them from stoning us. One extended trip was made among the Tibetans, and on this trip, the Tibetans wanted to kill us again, <laughs> but again, the Lord was our preserver. So in a calendar year, from 1927 to 1928, he covered over 2,000 miles from northeast Tibet to India, preaching the gospel. And during this particular trip, he saw people be saved one or two people at a time. So to show you the conditions he was facing, this is an actual picture that they took of his uh, excursion up through to the Tibetan mountains. So this is, this is in 1927, 1928. They, have, they would have to crisscross these mountain ranges thousands of miles at a time to get to where people lived and where people were. So in 1932, my great-grandmother and her husband, who are Victor's, she is Victor's sister. She was Victor's sister. She still is, but, you know, she's not alive anymore. 
1932, her and her husband, George, joined Victor on this, on this journey. So my great-grandfather and great-grandmother show up on the scene. What you'd have to do is you'd have to take a steamship from San Francisco for, for however long that took. Then you'd show up in Beijing. Then after you got to Beijing, you would take a 24 to 30 day journey up the Yellow River into Tibet. And this is the kind of thing that they took the journey on. Uh, this was just some timber logs that were basically strapped together and they would put some tents on there and then they would literally pull themselves by some, by some rope. And some of you are familiar with this, some of you aren't. They would pull themselves by some rope up, up the river and go up into Tibet. On one of these trips, uh, once, once George and Elizabeth got there, who again is my great-grandfather and great-grandmother, once they got there, they uh, would go on these expeditions with Victor up into the mountains and up into the lamaseries. And like I said, these people are, were very hostile to the gospel. They weren't peaceful. They weren't all about, hey, let's just love each other and let's just hear what each other have to say. They were very ho hostile to foreigners and people that were outsiders. And so on one of these expeditions up into the mountain, my great-grandfather George was invited for the first time ever to meet with like the chief monk of this monastery. And they invite him in and they have a meal and they offer him all this different stuff that's the custom of Tibetan to, to say we welcome you as a friend. And so he's able to talk to them really for the first time. You know, they'd show up to these places, they'd go and they'd start handing out New Testaments and they'd just kick them out and chase them out and threaten to kill them and come after him with swords and clubs and all that kind of stuff. And so this is the first time that he was able to engage. And he's like, man, this is a total win. This is amazing. They let me in finally. So Victor's been doing this up to this point since for 24 years, since 1908. He's been doing it for a couple years. And, uh, and so, so he goes to get on his donkey and he has to ride back down the mountain, back to where the camp is. And he goes to get down, goes to ride this donkey down. And he's about 10 minutes outside of the lamasery. And all of a sudden he just feels just deathly ill. And he knew at that moment that what had happened was he had been poisoned by these, by these monks. And um, so he laid down, he couldn't do anything else. He laid down on the side of the road and he was just losing consciousness. He knew he was dying. So what he did was he took his watch and he broke his watch on a rock so that when people found him, they could know, you know what time that he died. The next day, he woke up and felt fine. He just woke up, got up and got on his donkey and he decided to go back to the, to the lamasery. Decided to go back up there and talk to him, say, hey, what's up? And uh, I noticed, you know, something was weird about the food last night. I don't know if you guys felt that, but it's really rough. I had a really rough night. So as soon as they saw him, they said they, they were astounded. They said, we gave you enough poison to kill 10 men. And if, and if you can survive that, then, then your God must be the true God. And uh, he converted them in one day. So, that, so by the time he got home, his, his, his wife tells him this story. She says, you know, the other night, about a week ago, before you, you know, when you were on this journey, I, got, I was woken up in the middle of the night at, at such and such a time. And she said, I just felt like God just told me to pray. And so I just got up and I prayed, and I prayed all night. And so he, they, they come to find out it had been the same exact time and the same exact day that he, he was going through that in that moment. So there's these amazing things that, that, God, that God did. God did miracles in them. And like I said, if you're really interested in that, you can, you can read it all um, in this book. I can't tell you all the stories because they're just they're just unbelievable. So eventually, right, Victor, it starts working for Victor. 
Victor has these, these good things going, according to him. He's been there for 40 years. And, and George and Elizabeth, his, his, my, my great-grandparents, they've been there for over 15 years. So they each had churches at this time of over 200 people, which is massive for that area of Tibet. And they would see people saved instead of one, two, or five at a time. They'd see people saved uh, 20 to 30 people at a time. So then 1949 happens, and if you're familiar with Chinese history, I don't expect you to be, but if you're familiar with Chinese history, in 1949, the Communist Revolution happened in China, and they basically kicked out anyone who was not Chinese, who was not a Chinese natural, national, if they owned property, if they owned land, if they were doing something, it was very dangerous for them. You were either going to leave or you were going to be killed. So at this, at this season in history, Victor, his life's work is here, it's in Tibet, all of a sudden the, the Chinese government shows up and they say you're out or you're dead. So Victor, his whole family, my great grandparents, my grandparents now, because they'd been born at this time, my, I think my grandpa was, um, lived in China until the time he was 14 years of age, so he was born and pretty much raised over there. And so they had to leave China and go come to America. Victor spent 40 years of his life here. My great-grandfather spent over almost 20 years of his life here. And all of a sudden, it was all over in one day. All the work that we'd done, all the effort that we'd given, all the stuff that we'd done to try to reach these Tibetan people, it's just done. It's over with. No going back. So in 1991, long story short, in 1991, some of the children of the people that had gone to Victor Plymeyer's church decided that they were going to start the church over again. And they couldn't, they, they, went to the, they went to the government of the city and they said, can you please let us start this church over again? And they said, you know, so can we have the, Victor Plymeyer had built a house himself. He'd built this massive missionary compound. He built a church building. And they said, can we please have this back? Because we'd like to do church again. And they said, you can't prove to us that there was ever a church here. There's no proof. There's no demonstrable proof that a church ever existed here by that name. So they were looking through all their documents, trying to find, they couldn't find a deed to the church. They couldn't find a deed to the, to the house that Victor built. They couldn't find anything, but they found one thing. And what they found was the deed to the property that Victor had bought whenever he'd buried his wife and son. And instead of deeding that property to his own name, he deeded it to the church. And so because of that, they were able to prove that the church existed and they were given all of their property back to start the church all over again. So what God did in, that, in the context of that story, and you'll see it, we're not just going to talk about it, I'm going to take you there, because we went on a trip there a little bit ago. But in the context of that story, Victor went through great tragedy. He died in 1956. He never got to see any of this happen. So Victor went through great tragedy, he lost his wife and he lost his son, and God used the greatest tragedy in Victor's life to leave a legacy that other people could be a part of. Now, I'm going to talk about that in a minute, but I want to show you what, it's, what it looks like now, all the stuff that Victor and my great-grandfather started and were a part of, because I want to show you what a legacy looks like. I want to, I want to talk about today how, how leaving a legacy actually works. So I'm going to show you, six years ago, we went to China, and we got to see all of this in real life. And you're going to see some different people in this video, so I want to explain to you who they are. The first thing you're going to see is my dad lead our tour guide to Christ on a bus, which was amazing and also the most random thing. So I had to grab the camera and try to film it, and it was just this powerful moment with this, with this Chinese guy that God really did a work in him, and we believe started a work in his family. You're going to see my parents. Obviously, you're going to see our family. You're going to see my aunt, 
Sherry and my uncle Bruce. You're going to see my grandparents in the video as well. The old guy, the main old guy that we interview is, and I can call him old, he's, he's 80 plus. So, so he, we, the guy we interviewed is David Plymeyer, who wrote this book, but is also Victor Plymeyer's son, who's continued the work that, that Victor started. And then you're also going to meet, and I'll come back and explain it to you a little bit later, you're also going to meet uh, Paul and Stephanie Windler, who are some of the only, they're, they're 60, over 60 years later, they were allowed back into the place where, where Victor was in Tibet to, to continue his work by the Chinese government. So, but instead of, I wanted to set it all up by telling you those stories that in 1908, this guy started something, saw very little fruit in his lifetime, but I want to show you what it looks like over 100 years later. So check this video out. Your question. Yeah. Can I have uh, Keila pray for you? Pray My for daughter, me. pray for you. Yes. Yeah. Can she pray for you? So Keila, go pray for you. She's gonna come pray for you. Oh, All I right? could. I go there. Okay. Yeah. Say, come back here. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I never she, had this. She's just gonna. Have, she's gonna. She's gonna pray. <laughs> you sit right here with me. She's gonna pray for you. God, I just thank you for Bob. I thank you for the man that he is. God, I thank you that you've called him to such great things. I thank you that you expose him to all kinds of people and you've shown him different parts of the world. And God, we know that you have a specific plan for his life. We just speak that you would just give him wisdom and knowledge and understanding, divine favor with you and divine favor with men. And that just even through the life of his daughter, God, that he would begin to understand your love. He'd begin to understand, God, just the destiny that you have for him, the plan that you have for him, that it's bigger than a job, it's bigger than a country, it's bigger than any beliefs. But God, it's about you loving people and loving him. And without, without wanting anything in return, then God, we just thank you for who you are. We just pray that he would feel your love from our family, that he would feel just not only accepted, but God, appreciated and and just that we want to be around him and that we want him to feel your love just while we're here and we just thank you for his life we thank you that you destined him to do great things and I just pray that God his the later the later years in his life will be better even than the beginning of his life that that everything that he's seen good happen in his life that God it would just continue to get better and that that his heart would just be open to you that it would be open to what you have for him and that God I just pray that you begin to speak to him and just put things on his heart and that you would reveal yourself to him in new ways and we just pray that he would feel your presence and feel your love in Jesus name amen, amen. amen. oh thank you thank you let me ask you a question. Can I lead you in a prayer? Because that's what you do. You say, dear Jesus. Yes. Then you say, dear Jesus. Yes. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. 
I yes. ask you to come into my heart yes. and be the Lord of my life. Yes. That's simple. Yeah, yeah. Would you okay. like to do that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. so let's yeah. pray. Yes. Let's all pray this with him, okay? Yes. You say, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to forgive me. Of all my sins. Of all my sins. All my sins. Cleanse me. Cleanse me. Wash me. Wash me. Make me new. Make me new. I believe in you. I believe in you. I open up my heart. I open my heart. And my mind. My mind. To be the person. To be the person. That you created me to be. You created me to be. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me. For accepting me. For accepting me. And for forgiving my sins. For forgiving my sins. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. I think this is one of the big important lessons for us that God works over very long periods of time choosing people specifically for a certain time and a certain place and he says this is what I want you to do and you do it and you may pass off the scene and think well this wasn't for anything at all and then as time goes by and you look back, uh, you begin to see how God put everything together. Mm. Well, on August 15th, we went first to the, uh, one of the major Tibetan Buddhism lamasaries in the country, which is uh, in the Tibetan's Kumbum, the Chinese call it Tars. Uh, Actually, you walked across the very spot where in 1980 Dad was thrown out uh, forcefully. Uh, he was there passing out gospels, and a bunch of these priests came along and saw him, and they just picked him up and threw him out. Yeah. And uh, you remember going there from one temple to the other, uh, one, uh, and the guide with us explaining all that was, uh, all everything that was intended, the symbolisms and all that. Well, the prayer wheels are these cylinders that I mounted so that they can be spun. Yep. And inside of them, they are filled with uh, pieces of paper on which are written long prayers and incantations from their scriptures and all of that. And then you also notice a lot of people prostrating yeah. uh, over and over again, up and down. That again is part of what they do in order to, we'll say, work out a salvation in their religion. Mm. I have been told that uh, you need to do a hundred thousand of them to make a difference. Wow. So I mean if you if you I don't know how long if you want to count it whether it takes you five or ten seconds each time around but uh, you we were there wow. and those folks that were there at the time they've been doing that for hours and they wow. will still be doing it when you left. we went to the city of Gueda and interestingly enough we were able to find the old mud house where the Wood fam Woods family had lived. At that time they slept on mud beds heated with uh, maybe horse manure or yak manure. Yet, to my knowledge, uh, Paul and Elizabeth Wood and Paul and Doris and Georgie were the only missionaries that actually went there and resided there for a period of time.
What do you think about the yak? Okay. <laughs> That's awesome. The tomato's got 30 degrees. Okay. Hey, you're going to the yak! You're going to the yak! Well, we uh, went to Huangyuan and visited there, uh, among other things, the hospital. And um, so through this, this humanitarian effort, not only us, but the local churches here <clears throat> are involved in the same way to show people that we are very concerned about their present condition and that we want to help them as much as we can. These people that are in the hospital, they have excellent training. Yeah. They know the medical business. What was holding things back was no instrumentation. Yeah, no equipment. No, no up-to-date up equipment. Yeah. And so the minute they had this in their hands, why they were able to really take off and provide top quality uh, uh, treatment for the people. And people actually came from long distances, travel mm. long distances. Well, the CAT scan, that was a, that was a big ticket item. Yeah. That was uh, $300,000. And that was 10 years ago. That was 10 years yeah. ago, yeah. folks are the Windlers, are the first foreigners to live in that city since we left. Uh, we, we, we come here um, and got special permission to be here actually and I'm here as a high school English teacher and so I get a chance to interact with 1500 high school students on a monthly basis and try to get to know them, love on them and do all we can to help them. We're the only foreigners in, the, in a county of 110,000 people and we've the only foreigners that have been allowed to live here in over 60 years. So, Daja Niha, Shesheni Wei Woman Dalgao, Shesheni Wei Jongo Dalgao, Yuan Shangdi, Yuniman Tongzai. And I basically just said, um, greeted everyone and said, we, we appreciate if you would pray for this place. And we appreciate if you, if you would pray for China. And um, I blessed you with saying that uh, may, Shen, may God be with you always. Thank you. And, uh, then we visited the old mission home, the, the house that my dad built. Well, it was built in 1924. 1924, it's amazing. <laughs> 
and that pastor and his people are very extensively involved in ministry to Tibetans. Mm. We can't. Yeah. We can't. There's no way we can do anything in that respect other than back them up with financial help and things like that. But they have absolute liberty to do so. Not only did it never die, it just increased yeah. all the time. Yeah. And to me, this is the this the the most amazing phenomenon to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It has been the dream of my father-in-law for many years that his daughters would be able to come to the land where his grandparents were first called many years ago. For his daughters to be able to see where he was born and spent the majority of the first 14 years of his life. We've heard the stories and we've read the book, but it's one thing to hear it, it's another thing to be able to see it. Second Chronicles 16.9 The Lord looks to and fro throughout the whole earth to see those who are loyal and faithful to him. So that he could put his hand upon them. And bless them. When he sees this place, he doesn't have to look any further. Because he sees his faithful people. So we are very humbled <laughs> to be in your presence. That God continues to work, the seed has been sown. You may be off the scene, yeah. but what you've done keeps on going on. Yeah. And so that has been the big observation that I have made, which is a very great encouragement because many times we feel like what we've done well, it's kind of blown away. It hasn't lasted. I was only there for a short while. But when it's done in God's time, it doesn't stop. It yeah. just goes on and on. I mean, that's what I consider my legacy. Awesome. awesome. Yeah, that's good. That's awesome. That's awesome. You got it. That's good. You got it. Okay. So, David Palmer, honored to be with you it's been well, great to be and let's, let's stand an up together <laughs> and uh, yeah you're an ordinary person it's an extraordinary thing so our family blesses you and uh, we love you so much thank, thank you thank, thank you for your thank you for your time well, here my, with us. my pleasure to be able to be with you and to help you to achieve what you wanted what you came here to do well and our, our goal is to continue on with the legacy and do what we can uh, so that, the, that God can continue to bring the increase so we'll continue to sow seed and uh, we just thank you for all you've done. Well, We're going to stand I'll, on your shoulders. I'll keep, I'll keep you informed, and I'll stand on yours. <laughs> all right. All right. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, the, the house that you saw that we went in that, that was Victor's house, that's where his wife and son passed away. The hospital that you saw uh, was not ever there before. That was something that Victor's son, David, 
uh, completely has built and financed that, and they've completely done that. That church that you saw, that was the church that Victor started, and it's, there's over 20,000 people that go to that church now. Uh, the the every, Everything that you saw, the, the missionaries that you saw that are out there, and we're not technically allowed to call them missionaries, but the people that live out there that teach English, they're the first people since Victor Plymeyer to be allowed to live back in that place. We couldn't even stay there. So what we had to do is we stayed in a, a city that was about two hours away, and we had to drive in. We had to have special permission from the government to even enter the city. And uh, then we had, to, we had to leave by a certain time every day when we were there. And so uh, God has done amazing things through the life and the legacy of Victor Plymeyer. And uh, as a person who's in this family, it's amazing to see that this guy's my great uncle, and of course I never knew him. But in the context of his life, he might have seen this in faith, but he never saw it happen for him. So someone has to plant the seed. Someone has to be the person who comes along and says, hey, I'm going to start something. And it's not ever meant to be finished, though. It's not ever meant to come to an end. My great-grandmother always told her kids, who have now told us, that when we stand before God, he won't ask us if we've been successful. He'll ask us if we've, if we've been faithful. And God's not asking you to make a lot of money in your life. God's not asking you to build a great business. God's not asking you to do all the things that we can define as success. What God's asking out of each one of us is for us to be faithful. What he's asking for us to do is for us to take the thing that we feel called to, the thing that he's empowered us to do, the thing that he's created us to do, and to do that with, with everything that we have. And there might be some great results that we see in our lifetime, but the truth is, if we do it God's way, there will be greater results after we die than there ever were when we were here. And it's hard to fathom that. It's hard to think through that. It's hard to see yourself in the context of that story. But the reason why we wanted to show you this life message of Victor Plymeyer is that that really is the way that God works. Victor got to the point in his life, he had to just trust God with whatever the seeds were that he, that he sowed in Tibet. Did everything he could, built everything he could, left it all on the field so to speak. And then really the amazing thing is God took care of the rest. So how am I going to leave a legacy? How do I do that? How do I, how do I be a person that practically I live that way? The first thing I need to do in order to leave a legacy is to have faith. I got to have faith. And uh, we have to ask the question though, what is faith? According to Hebrews chapter 11, verse, verse one, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things that we can't see. Faith and hope are very different. A lot of us in this room might think that faith is just believing. Faith is just believing that something's going to happen. Faith is believing that God's going to do something. Faith is believing that there's going to be a good outcome. No, that's hope. Faith is acting as if there's going to be a good outcome. Because a lot of people can have, can have hope, but the main question God wants to ask out of all of us is, can you have faith? Can you act as if this is going to happen? Can you act as if it's all going to work out? Can you act as if there's going to be a good report from the doctor? Can you act as if God's going to do great things in your life and in your family and that he's going to use you powerfully? I love what Pastor Sergio De La Mora said when he was here a couple weeks ago, that faith builds what hope sees. So if we see it, I have a friend named Jason Larity, pastors in San Francisco. His, what he said, what he says is that you go there in, in prayer before you go there in person. And so if we can see it, then it has the potential to happen. But if we're not able to see it and we're not able to act as if, then the, 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 the odds of it happening are very slim. If Victor Plymeyer would have walked away after 15 years, 
He wouldn't have seen one person come to God as a result of his ministry. If he would have walked away after 19 years, who knows what would happen with, with his son, with his family, and with what God's done there now. My dad says it's our job to believe and take action, and it's God's job to do the impossible. And so often we, we make it our job to do the impossible. Like it's my job to go do all the impossible stuff. It's my job to make all of these things happen. It's my job to do this and to do that. Or we find ourselves in seasons of our life but we are highly unfaithful and we commit to this. And if it gets a certain kind of fruit, then I'll keep doing that. But you know what? That, that didn't work out for me. So I'm going to go from this to this to this. That's the way we do life. That's the way we do our job. That's the way we do relationships. That's the way we do our marriages. And that's the way we do church. So there's a lot of people, they, get, they don't ever commit even to a church environment because they, they, they don't see the, the significance of who they are in the midst of that place. Now, we feel like that Elevate Life is a great church for you to come if you're new here. This is a great church to call, to, to call home, but you should just find a church to call home. You should find a place that say, you know what, I'm going to be faithful to that place, and I'm going to commit to that place. I'm going to serve in that place. I'm going to put some seed down in that place. But we live in a society that doesn't do that. We live in a society that's transient, and we just go to wherever things are. And there, in certain respects, that's good, but God is asking us to be faithful. And to be faithful means I'm going to plant some roots and I'm going to stand firm and I'm going to do what God's called me to do, whether I see the results today in this moment, 10 years from now or not. And it's hard to trust God with that, but that's what faith is. Faith is trusting God with an outcome that I can't produce on my own and knowing in, in myself, having the conviction. And if you walk with God, if you have a relationship with him, there probably are things that you feel convicted to do and you feel convicted about. And so having the conviction to say, you know what, I know God's called me to this, so I'm going to do this. Doesn't matter what the fruit looks like, doesn't matter what all the different things are that I'm trying to measure success by. God's definition of success is when I love and when I'm faithful. So when I love and I keep showing up according to God, I'm winning. Because there's going to be people that come after you, regardless of how old you are in this room. There's going to be people that come after you. And we've lived for generations in the world, everyone just having to start over and do their own thing. Everyone just, okay, like that's what they did, but now here's what I'm going to do. And a lot of us in this room, we've had to do our own thing because our parents didn't think that way. Because the people that came before us didn't think, what am I leaving for this next generation to build on? You know, it was really nice. Uh, I had someone come, come talk to me after first service and in the lobby, and it was really sweet. And they said, hey, like, when are you going to do your own thing? And uh, we love to hear you speak all the time. And I think that's surprising for me that people love to hear me talk. Um, but no, really, that's not. Thank you. Thank you. But, but really, there's a lot better talkers than me. But here's what I'm saying. When, when people say that, um, it's not that I judge that, but it's a misunderstanding of what legacy is all about. Because I don't have to go do my own thing. I don't have to be about my own thing. Because I have a person in front of me who's created something that I can just be in the draft of. And yes, there will be a, and there will be a time uh, in my life where on whatever level that looks like with God, that there's a forefront that I get to play a part in that and get to be a part of whatever team it is that that looks like. But people shouldn't have to go do their own thing. That's, that's the way that the world operates. But God's system, God's structure, look at this, this Plymeyer family. 100 years, same family, amazing fruit. God sent Victor, then God sent his son, and now God's sending sons and daughters of choice. 
So you might be sitting here and you might be saying, well, I don't have that. I don't have that personally. Like, I don't have anyone in front of me. I don't have anyone behind me, really, that can follow. And that's why we believe in family of choice as a church. And family of choice are just people that you choose to do life with, people that you choose to raise. You see, all of us, we might not have been able to, based on the season, disciple our children. Or maybe our children just aren't open to our discipleship. But God's called us to disciple anyway. So let's find some people that we can raise up to be like us. Because that's, that's what God wants. That's what God wants out of us. If we follow him, if we have a relationship with him, what God wants, wants out of us is for us to create people that will follow him too. Like we follow. So in our lives, we got to stop starting over because we got to leave some things for the next generation. Joshua 24, uh, 13, uh, God is talking to his people and he says, I gave you land that you had not worked on and I gave you towns that you did not build, the towns where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. So leaving a legacy means I'm planting a seed for someone else's harvest. That there's going to be stuff for me that I spend so much time on and I focus on and I build and I make it happen, but I don't see any of the fruit of that, but the people that come after me will. In Hebrews chapter 11 that we just read that faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's what's known to, to a lot of people as the faith hall of fame. And in this faith hall of fame, the writer of Hebrews lists all of these names of people that believed in great things. But one of the, one of the key verses, passages in that passage of scripture is when the writer says, and all of these people died not getting to experience what God had promised for them. There's a promise for us that's not for us. There's a promise for us that we need to commit to so that someone else gets to experience that. And I don't just mean someone else in, in terms of leadership or success that you know, you're going to pass your business off to the second generation, and that's great. But I mean the people that David Plymeyer has been able to reach uh, with the gospel. I mean the people that have been able to be loved that wouldn't have been loved without someone choosing to commit to that. Someone choosing to build that. And that's the opportunity that we have. We have the opportunity to maybe be a part of something. Maybe you're here and you are one of the rare cases that there is someone in front of you that's trying to raise you up, that's trying to disciple you, that's trying to bring you along, or you see someone that you want to be like, that you want to follow in their legacy. I think that's powerful. But maybe you're one of those people that's a lot like my dad. See, my mom comes from this amazing ministry legacy, and it's really powerful. But then my dad didn't come from that at all. My dad didn't have pastors in his family. He didn't have ministers in his family. He doesn't even have successful people in his family. Until his generation, until him and his brother and his sister decided to make it happen, decided to be different, decided to build some kind of legacy that they're the people that come after them can follow and admire and want and want to be like. And God wants that for all of us. So Victor Plummer lives his life and he trudges through hard ground. It's tough sledding and it's not enjoyable and there's very little fruit, but the fruit at this point in history is completely undeniable. There's a lot of people that can say, hey, you know, we can live in America. We can have this American uh, mentality of is God real? And does God really work in people's lives? And does God really do miracles? And people don't go do something for 16 years somewhere and commit their lives to that or commit their whole life to something like that if it doesn't work and if it's not real. Most of the time, God's not 
We're, we're like, we feel like we're waiting on God to commit to us and we're waiting on God to be faithful to us in certain situations, but God's like waiting for us to commit to him. God's waiting for us to be faithful to him. God's waiting for us to actually live our life and act as if he's for us and he's on our side and he's gonna do great things and he's gonna take care of all the things that we're concerned with and he's gonna take care of all the things that we feel like are impossible for us that I can't figure out anyway, but I spend most of my time thinking about. We spend, we spend so much of our time trying to be successful. We spend so much of our time trying to make it happen. And God, I think, maybe is sitting there saying, that's not even what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to be successful. I love, that, I love that quote. And you can choose to disagree with it or not. It's not in the Bible. God's not asking us to be successful. He's asking us to be faithful. So he's asking us just commit to something, be full of faith, say, God, I'm going to have confidence as if what you're saying is actually going to happen. I'm going to, and maybe it's not in my lifetime, maybe it's not in my kid's lifetime, but in my life, you're, you're doing something through me, so I'm not going to miss that. I'm just going to be a part of that, and I get to be a part of your story, because sometimes we can think in our life that we're the main character. Like I can think in the story of my life and the, in the story of all, of all of our lives that are working together that we're somehow the main characters in our own story. And I have bad news for you, but good news that you're not the main character. God's the main character. So in our life, if we really understand that, then we just get to be a part of what God is doing. My family gets to be a part of whatever that looks like that God is doing. My, my, God has given, you know, you and your family or in your own way, God's given you vision and he's given you purpose and he's given you destiny. And most people choose to use that for their own gain. And they choose to build something that's just based on their talents, their gifts and their abilities. And it just really is self, self-feeding. But God doesn't ask us to be self-feeding. He asks us to be self-sacrificing. So in my life, if it's not working out right now, that's really okay because I'm doing what God's called me to do. I'm being faithful. I'm being persistent. I'm just going to make this thing happen because I don't know what the story is going to be at the end of the day. And I can't control all the uncontrollables, but I can, I can control if whether or not I show up tomorrow. I can control if I give my best tomorrow. I can't control if I'm committed tomorrow to my marriage, to my family, to making it work, to pushing through, to leaving a legacy. I can control that stuff. I can't control all the fruit of that, but I'm gonna let God take care of that. I'm just gonna give it my very best every day. And that's what faithfulness means. Give your very best every day. Everything that you're a part of, be a part of it all the way. Don't walk through life and be upset at what, 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 what didn't happen last time. Be upset at, be upset at what's not currently happen, happening. Let God take care of all that stuff. You just give your best. And that's, that's what he's asking for. And that's what he's saying. So leaving a legacy means that we understand that God knows the end of the story and we don't. I don't know the end of the story. I'm just a page in the story. So I'm going to be the best page I can possibly be. I'm going to write the best part that I can possibly write for myself so that everything doesn't point back to me, so that everything points back to God. So that when people look... So that when people look at my life, they don't see me. And they don't see great things that I've done. You see, I could ask you, <clears throat> at the same time, very few of us could name, uh, at the time Victor Plymire was alive, who's the richest man in the world. There would be some of us that could name who that, 
was, but very few of us could. We all know who the richest people are in the world. There's a list, there's a magazine, that Fortune magazine, every year they put together the top most richest people, all the billionaires, and we aspire to be like them and we aspire to accumulate things on this side of eternity. There's two different deaths that we go through. And I don't know who originally said this, but I think it's a good thought. First thing is when you die physically. The second thing is when people stop talking about you. Let's not be people that people stop talking about us. Leaving a legacy means I'm gonna leave something that people can build on. A hundred years later, <coughs> we are talking about Victor Plymeyer. And if you look at what was successful ministry, we wouldn't talk about Victor Plymeyer because he's successful. We're talking about Victor Plymeyer because he was faithful. We're talking about Victor Plymeyer because he had a son named David who decided to continue the legacy that his father started and has seen unbelievable fruit because of that. Now they have a hospital, they have a church, there's a radio station that broadcasts around all of mainland China that they get to preach the gospel on because Victor Plymeyer in 1908 said, I'm gonna go over here and I'm gonna do what I'm called to do. They pushed through it, made it happen. I'm sure it was very difficult you can read the book to see how much more difficult it is than even I'm describing it to you. But I'm trying to show you this story and to tell you this story to show you that this is how God wants to work if you'll let him work that way in your life. Not get focused on the, the next five years or the next 10 years or the next 20 years. Think about the next 200 years. How are you setting up your great-grandchildren? How are you setting up your great-great-grandchildren? How are you building the legacy that God's called you to build? That's the way God wants to work. When you read God's word and you go through the entirety of God's word, there's this narrative of the fact that there's been a family that in spite of their issues, in spite of their dramas, in spite of all the things they didn't have figured out, they allowed God to use them. And they followed after each other's footsteps. And now the awesome thing is, we get to be in this room, and those of us who have a right relationship with Jesus, we get to be in this room and do what we do because we're part of a legacy that started over 2,000 years ago. And we buy into that. We buy into following a guy that none of us know personally outside of within, our, within ourselves. None of us have met Jesus face to face, but we follow him. Because there's a legacy that we get to be a part of. So the way God works in families is the way he intends the world to work. That we need to see not some more of the same. We don't need to see more generations just, hey, I'm gonna start over, I'm gonna do my own thing, I'm gonna build my own thing, I'm gonna make my own thing happen. We need to see people that are coming along that are working together. That there's generations that are walking hand in hand to build something and to do something that God has called them to do. And, and if I can encourage you with anything, it's with this, like be that person. Doesn't matter how old you are, what you look like, where you come from, what your story is, God wants to use your story. God has given you a unique purpose and a unique destiny and it's something that only you can do and it's something that only your legacy can be about. Like I said, it's not about, you know, everything working out right with your kids. Because all of our kids have their own choices to make as they become adults and as they grow up. But it's about being enough of a person that you can do two things. This is what Pastor Keith says. You're going to win in life when you do two things. The first thing is you give God something to work with. And the second thing is you give people something to respect. So let's be those people. And we just we say, God, you know, I've, I, know you've, I know you've called me to something. I know you've given me a purpose and you've given me destiny. And I'm going to chase after that with all my heart. And I'm going to let you take care of all the things I can't take care of. And I'm going to rest in that. And I'm going to have peace in that. And I'm going to know that you're for me. You're on my side. You're on my family side. You're on my legacy side. You're on my family of choices side. You're going to be faithful to me. So God, I'm going to do my very best to be faithful to you.
Can you bow your heads with me? Some of us are here and we're wondering what the starting point is for us. Like, where do I start with all of this? I don't, have a, I, don't, I don't feel like I have a relationship with Jesus right now. And that sounds like a weird term in and of itself because I don't know how you have a relationship with someone that you haven't met personally. What we believe is that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus came and he died on a cross so that we could be in relationship with him. Not in our physical body, but in our spiritual selves. So if you're here and you know that God's just been speaking to you and you know you're not, in a, you're not in a right place with him, he wants to be in a right place with you. The Bible says he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. And that might be what you're feeling right now as you're feeling that knocking, you're feeling that anxiety, you're feeling that nervousness of, you know, I just, like God, something's happening and I, I can't even understand it. I can't even describe it. That's God beginning to speak to you to say, hey, open up the door of your heart and let me in. Let's do life together. There's a lot of conversations you and God need to have after this, but as a church, this is why we do everything that we do. So if you're here and you just know that you know, hey, I don't have a right relationship with God right now in my life, in this season, in this moment, whatever that looks like, I, I just don't have that. I know I'm not in that place. Um, I'm not gonna count to three. I'm not even gonna ask you to come forward. I just want you, between you and God, I'm gonna count you in a prayer. And if that's you, every head bowed and every eye closed, both here and in McKinney, I want you to just raise your hand. Say, that's me. Like, I know I'm, I need to get things right and I'm not, I'm not in a right place right now in my heart with him. I see your hands. Is there anybody else? You can put your hands down. And I want everyone that can, that can hear my voice to pray this prayer and repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Be Lord of every area of my life. God, thank you for loving me, for choosing me. I choose you. In your name I pray. Amen. Can we give those people that made that decision a big hand? Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Make sure to get your copy of Pastor Keith Craft's book, Your Divine Fingerprint, and visit elevatelife.com for other exciting new content from Elevate Life Church.